Welcome to 100 PM, the show where we interview 100 active product managers from startup to enterprise and everything in between, all from one great city every season. If you're joining us for the first time, be sure to visit our website, 100productmanagers.com. That's the number 100, productmanagers.com. It's the web's fastest growing resource for product management topics. We've got tons of great articles about business, technology, and design, fabulous contributors, and the official must-read, listen-to, follow list, as recommended by our incredible guests, week over week. It's season one. We're here in Los Angeles. I'm your host, Susanna Bate, resident instructor at General Assembly and founder of The Development Factory. Welcome, and thanks for listening. Hello, Los Angeles and beyond. It's Tuesday, the sun is shining, and we are here in Manhattan Beach talking to Sharon Tom, lead product manager at BCG Digital Ventures. Sharon is a living testament to the unpredictable, unknowable path of the product manager. She's worked in enterprise. She has helped several companies move between different phases of the product life cycle. And now today at BCG, she's working with major corporations to help them create startup ventures from within. Let's dive right in. Thank you, first of all, for taking the time to chat with us. And uh, have you been on a podcast before? No, my very first podcast first ever. First podcast. Okay. So excited and honored to be part of that for you. Next, you'll be like booking all over the place. It'll be like, oh, Sharon's never in the office. She got a little taste of doing the interviews, and then that's all she wants to do. Right. Now. That would be pretty amazing. <laughs> um, talk to me about uh, LA. Have you always been in LA? Gosh, born and raised in LA, actually. You are. Yes, I You're did. Like one of five people. Really, no way. I'm I sure feel you've like got there's so many transients. Here. People come here. It's a place uh, people come to. No, born and raised here. I went to UCLA for undergrad, and then afterwards, I actually did a stint in Silicon Valley. Um, did a stint in Seattle, and decided I just want to be in LA for the rest of my life. I'm happy here. Because the weather. The weather, the people, my family's here. What's not to love, you know? Tell us a little bit about the valley. There's, I think for people who haven't been there or worked there, <laughs> there's just this like, what is actually Silicon Valley? You know, yeah. is it just one giant commercial park of tech companies? Does everyone know each other? Like demystify Silicon Valley for us a little. You know, Silicon Valley does feel like a big commercial park of technology companies, so I won't deny that. But I think what's really interesting is you have all these brilliant minds together in one city, and it's the most tech-forward city I've ever seen, where people are always trying out the latest and greatest apps. And so it's almost a bubble that they're living in because you leave it and everyone else is doing very different things. What's popular there, other people you know, in the South haven't even heard of, for example. And so it is very different in the sense that they're so ahead of the times when it comes to technology because they're the ones creating it. Right, do you think that it in some ways 
no differently than we have to remind ourselves in product that we're solving problems for people who aren't in the room. That by virtue of being inside this company, we already know too much about design, too much about technology to be making objective decisions about should the button be here, should we use this user interface element. Do you think that that kind of magnifies just about product in general in Silicon Valley, where it's like the problems that are being solved are a result of that kind of insular worldview in some ways? There are definitely products that go direction, but I wouldn't say that's inclusive of everybody. There are companies that actually go and fly out and talk to users and potential customers from all over the place. And there are others who think they know everything. So we can see the differences in product management styles. Right. So, and that's true of every place. Exactly. There's going to be people who want to learn and people who already know everything. Exactly. There are people who think that. Right. How is the, the tech scene here in L.A. different? I think we're very different in terms of the tech subsectors I see. Up there, it's very software-based, sometimes uh, with a hardware play like a Fitbit. Down here, you actually get more of the e-commerce, media, and analytics scene that I think is very different in terms of the contrast of the type of companies you see up there, especially at the startup level. Right. So because you're born and raised here, because you left and came back and said, what's not to love, how would you sell Silicon Beach versus Silicon Valley if you were tasked with recruiting people to come to the L.A. tech scene? To me, the biggest part about the L.A. tech scene is that there's a lot less requirements in having to have an engineering background. The second one is there's a very different scene, as I had just mentioned, in terms of the kinds of tech companies we have. It's going to be more about e-commerce, more about media, more about advertising versus in the Bay Area. Yes, you'll have some of that, but it's going to be a lot more about pure software place. And so at the end of the day, what is it that you want to do if it's along the side of if it's along the lines of media and e-commerce, then I think LA is the perfect scene for a product manager who wants to focus in those areas. Right. I mean, the, that's illustrated most clearly by the nature of the billboards. You get off the plane in San Francisco and every billboard is like Salesforce, whatever, product, product, product. You get off the plane at LAX and it's like new HBO show. Yes. <laughs> so you can really see at first blush what's happening on the ground. But it is a little bit more diverse here, I think. I, I would agree with you. Yeah, it's just it's just a different uh, sector that has really flourished here. If you think about where Netflix and Hulu started, it was out here. And then you think about you know, a recent successful exit, it was Dollar Shave Club, and that's all e-commerce. Right. And do you think that because of that reason, you see more people happening into product roles here where, you know, I'm working in a media company and then I realize, oh, I'm actually a product person. And then the company is sort of trying to figure out in reverse, oh, what is product? We have to stand that up versus it seems like, you know, in Silicon Valley, everyone really clearly understands product management as a discipline differently for sure, but right. it's a little bit more laid out. That's, a, that's definitely a great question. I think that's one of the challenges we have to solve as product managers in LA is that it means something a little bit different to every company. Yes, there are nuances within the Silicon Valley companies, but like you said, it's more well understood. Here, I've often seen that product managers are expected to function like a project manager half the time and then also do product management work. So that's a good example of some places that define it differently. 
Other times, we have to educate other departments within an organization to help them understand what value a product manager brings because it's not as well understood here. It still feels like a fairly new role to a lot of companies here, right. especially when we're talking about e-commerce. Right. How would you define product management? You know, if you had to explain it to some somebody in your family, do people know what you do, your friends and family? My parents still don't understand what I do, exactly. but I'm not sure they ever will. I, have, I did, however, have to explain product management to a group of MBAs at USC Marshall recently. Okay. The way I approach it is, look, there's two elements that make a product manager. There's a strategic one, and then there's a tactical one. When I say strategic, it's about coming up with the vision and holding the vision for your product. It's about how do you make sure that your roadmap ties into that vision. So a lot of it is really vision related. And then you have the more tactical components where you have to write your requirements, you have to work with engineers on the execution of the product, you work with design, et cetera. And so to me, a good product manager is able to function both at a very strategic and tactical level. And on top of all that, a lot of people miss pointing out the communication skills. There's a lot of soft skills that's needed to be a successful product manager because you're constantly the person who becomes the main point of contact and becomes the center of the way the business functions and, and how things get relayed to, to getting executed in the product. You're tearing a slide right out of my, you know, introduction to product. <laughs> Class number one that I teach is exactly that. The first misconception is people use the term product manager and project manager interchangeably. Yes. And understanding the separation of concerns, and, and I would echo that exactly, product management is strategic, and there will be times where you have to act in the capacity of project manager and I think that's part of what's hard for a lot of people. It's difficult to shift from, you know, forward thinking, future-based planning right. to I got to do these wireframes. Do you see people get stuck too much in one side or the other, or has that been your experience ever? You know, I've definitely seen at the more junior levels, it's easy to get really caught up on that tactical side, right? Where you're really focused on doing things and not taking a step back to really think about how the things that you're working on actually tie back to that vision at the end of the day and to think through, does this really make sense? Is this a feature that we really, really need? Or is it just something that internal folks are rallying for? Are we really thinking through if this makes sense to our strategy, if customers really, really need it at the end of the day? And so for the more junior folks, it really helps to ground their thinking to always map back to what is it that we're trying to accomplish at the end of the day as a company? And, and really think through that tie together with the vision. Another challenge that I've seen is when folks get to the top at the product level even, they tend to forget what it was like to have to execute and uh, expectations start getting very demanding sometimes with timelines. And so you see very different challenges at very different levels. It's like grandpa being like, I walked uphill to school both ways. <laughs> and you're like, I can wireframe that in 20 minutes. You should be able to do that too. Right. Meanwhile, you're just like three years away from the last time you actually had to open a prototyping software at all. <laughs> right, right. You see that sometimes. Right. And this brings up this connection to the vision of the product brings up the importance of road mapping. And so, you know, for some people, you're, depending on where you are within the organization, you may very well be the person responsible for building out the roadmap and communicating it. But if you are more junior, that might not be a piece that you touch. 
So how do you negotiate that as, as a junior PM, keeping that in mind? Where are we going long term? How do you hook into that if you're not as connected to the roadmap as, say, the senior VP of product management? That's a great question. In my perspective, I think that even at the junior level, it's it's their responsibility to make sure that the managers are properly communicating to them what the priorities are and why and how it's shaping the vision or changing the vision or maintaining the vision even. And to just be proactive about getting those alignment meetings on the calendar with the senior VP, especially at bigger companies. I've never had anyone say no to me when I've asked for those things in the past. Right. And this, you brought up the point about communication, and I think this is a big piece of it too. A lot of the times you have all of these responsibilities, but very little actual jurisdiction. So there's this piece of how can I somehow manage to convince everyone to like me and comply with my requests because I can't actually (laughs) mandate them on any level. Right, right. That's the hardest part about our job is that we are not the direct manager for a lot of people we are cross-functionally managing. So what do we do about that? The way I've handled it in the past was really earn the respect of the team members I'm working with, whether it be engineers, designers, or fellow product managers. I need to get to know them first of all, really understand kind of what their concerns are, how they want to contribute, and be able to speak to that when we are talking through the different problems we're trying to solve together. And I think it's just most important to treat each other like thought partners, no matter what the titles are. And that has really helped me earn a lot of people's respect in the past is because I want to collaborate with them as opposed to dictating what should and shouldn't be done. Right. I thought it was just because they were all scared of you. So (laughs) Sharon's coming. She's going to make us get stuff done. You don't look scary. That's what I'm saying. Are you a little scary, though? I I can be very intense, but... I'm never the type to, you know, throw a fit in front of everyone by any means. I'm very direct and straightforward. So if you don't like that style, then I guess it could be scary. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we're here at BCG Digital Ventures. I think it was back in episode nine, we chatted with Tyler Adams. He's part of the team. Listeners, if you haven't heard that episode, go back and check it out. I don't want to talk extensively about BCG because we have talked about it, but give us I guess the the really quick soundbite as to what you do here, I'm interested in understanding how it's different from other roles that you've held as a product manager. Sure, let's start with what BCG Digital Ventures does. We partner with corporate clients to help them come up with new digital solutions. Sometimes it means a new digital solution within the current organization, and sometimes it means launching a brand new startup. It's been really amazing to be here and actually be part of launching two different startups. So that's been a very different experience than where I've worked in previous existing startups, where my focus was more to help them launch and scale at at different stages of the startup life. Okay. So kind of post-introduction, some point in the growth cycle, we've got traction, we've got users, we've got money, and we need to make that next sort of leap. Yes, yes, I'll I'll backtrack one moment here is I think the biggest difference between my role here at BC Digital Ventures and other existing startups is I'm actually helping ideate, in some cases, new solutions for existing companies. And then there are other cases where we've ideated and actually helped them build out new products with a brand new startup. And so we're launching from ground zero versus in the past startups I work for, they've already validated a market for their users 
And so I'm just helping them scale at that point. And then uh, in one particular example with Flippergram, I was part of their business pivot as well. But with BCG Digital, we are literally coming up with new startup ideas and launching them together. So you're in that kind of let's find problem solution fit, let's find product market fit modality. Yes. Yes, it's way more nebulous here because we, we constantly have to validate that there's a product market fit and that's not an easy task to execute on at the end of the day. Yeah, I think nine out of 10 companies or something fail to get to that point. Right, so how do we prevent that from happening and make sure that this becomes you know, the future unicorn of the industry that we're going after? Right, I was having this conversation, you know, of course, we, we do this work and then, at least for me, I find myself constantly catching myself in the mistakes that I know are mistakes. And one of those mistakes is still going too far ahead, still having too many assumptions that you just kind of don't check along the way and you're like, oh, well, I see that this, and so, if you think about the concept like a minimum viable product, yes. you're already starting a lot of the times at something that's way more than a minimum viable product. <laughs> has, has that been your experience ever? Like, how do I simplify this? I've already made it bigger than it than it should be for where we are in the validation process. Absolutely. Here at BCG Digital, we do work with a lot of corporations and they definitely really want to build out the vision state, and I don't blame them, I get it, right? Of course it'd be great to have that, but you gotta start somewhere. And so the first challenge we have is to help our corporate partners understand what a minimum viable product is and what that actually looks like as it leads to the vision. And so that's the biggest obstacle to get through first. And then it's actually getting everyone else on board on locking down scope because there's always new features that everyone wants, and we have to do make sure we do a good job of managing that in a roadmap and, and helping people understand, look, MVP is not the end all. That is the very first step. You can have another launch in two weeks if it's if it's through an app. If it's a website, you can launch at any time. So just remember, it's a very iterative process, and that's something that I've definitely had to help a lot of people understand here is we can keep on going. This is going to get better and better over time. It's all about iterations. Right. Well, it's it's hard. I mean, certainly for engineers, engineers don't ever want to create the impression that they don't know everything about everything. So their way of solving for that is making sure that every feature is there and every feature is perfect, which of course is in direct conflict with this mentality of, no, we don't need all of those things. And I think same for designers. There's a certain level of pride associated with, I can't ship it looking like that. And it's like, we don't even know if we have the right customer segment, let alone how they're going to respond to this design. Mm -hmm. So there's a, a bit of a learning to be imperfect as part of the growing pains, working in product, whether you're a product manager or not. Absolutely. I remember in my first project here, it was Autogravity, where Tyler actually was part of for a couple months as well. It was tough for some of the designers to think like, hey, this is just an MVP. I don't need to get to the final state like you would at an agency. And it, it took a couple months of adjusting to that thinking because it is so different where your focus is really to get something out the door fast so you can get in front of users earlier and therefore be able to validate if there is a need for a specific feature and then eventually the, the overall MVP. And 
it just takes people time to let this sink in because everyone agrees with it at the principal level, but at the execution level where you do have to, as the product manager, kind of be the one to rally everyone together and get them to get more comfortable with this over time and eventually really, really be the ones to help champion it. Right. Well, and especially when you think about things like how are we going to actually find users? You know, we're over here in this room arguing about whether or not we need feature A or feature B or both. Meanwhile, we don't even know if we are going to be able to get anybody to come to the website or download the app or any of the channels that we're thinking in our strategy are going to work. It, it, it's again, it's like put up a landing page, run an ad, see if you can even be effective there before you waste time. Exactly. Celebrate that kind of simplicity. But it's hard. It's it's hard, especially coming from a corporate mindset. And I get it. Like, that's where I started my tech career was at a major tech corporation, too. So at least I can get into their minds and understand what they're possibly thinking and be able to speak to those concerns. And this is where I keep saying that communication skills are so important with product managers because half the time we have to sell our ideas to people. Well, this is where the direct Sharon Tom excels because you just <laughs> grab one of those clients by their necktie or, or, or lapel pin blouse and you say, listen, this is an experiment and we're going to do it lean and you're going to, no, you're not, but you're direct and you say, no, this is, this is how we have to do this. Trust and me. That's another great point is don't be afraid to say no. I, I always tell product managers and aspiring product managers the same thing is, you want to be the person who will be the defendant of users and to really think about what it is that people absolutely need at the end of the day. I think less is more a lot of times and it's okay. And when people start asking for too much, it's okay to say no. That's one of the most important things I've learned along the way. Right. Well, it's actually almost better to have people ask for it because then you have some indication that you've created value, yeah. but maybe not all the value. And it's easy to say, look, people are coming back to us over and over and over again and they're looking for this extension, which means we've given them something usable and they're, they're pointing us to how it can be more usable, more valuable to them, rather than trying to account for every possible need in advance. But there's, I think this just ties into a bigger societal thing, like there's so much ego in admitting that you don't know something. And I've like really learned to embrace, I don't know anything, please tell me everything. Because that keeps you really, really connected to, um, the right information. That's another great topic is one of the biggest nuggets I give to people is just do not ever get overly invested into any particular idea because at the end of the day, you want to be able to part with it if it doesn't resonate with your customers. And it's okay. And like you said, it's okay not to know everything. That's the point of our very agile and iterative processes where you keep learning along the way and you get to a point where you might even need to pivot and it's okay. Right. And as long, and you get there faster. I think that's the thing. If you put out a little, the worst thing that happens is it's not valuable enough. You can add something to it versus taking too much time, not getting any data, putting something out and then not being able to actually tell, well, do they like it because of this or do they like it because of this? If you put in too many variables, it's difficult to extrapolate what's working and what's not. Yeah, absolutely. And this is where I believe that 
there's a lot of value in mixing quantitative and qualitative analyses. So for an existing company, they definitely have data, or at least I really hope they have data implemented, where they can go in and see what's working and what's not. And then secondly, they can get additional color behind some of the issues by doing something as simple as user testing. Um, there's plenty of tools out there like Validately and usertesting.com for those things. And so I like to merge the two separately when it comes to a very early stage startup where we're literally building from the ground up and don't have a business yet. I actually combine doing surveys and quick preference A-B testing with uh, the remote user testing as well, or sometimes even in-person interviews, to really just kind of understand what resonates with people at scale and then really understanding the color behind why. Let's go back a little bit to your experience, because one of the things that I think is really fascinating is that you, you know, certainly in your current role, as you've described, you're doing a lot of the pre- product market fit exploration. Yes. And, you know, finding product market fit is kind of, I always talk about it in video gaming terms, it's like unlocking the special achievement. <laughs> you find product market fit and now you essentially get to go to the secret level, which is company building, rather yes. than just sort of toiling. But you've also, as you've described, been part of companies that were well beyond product market fit. They, they had growth, whether it was sort of early growth or, or late growth, and you ushered them, to, to borrow the term from Jeffrey Moore, into kind of crossing the chasm, moving perhaps from an early adopter customer segment into how do we evolve to get more customers. And one of the things I don't think that's talked about as much is, that means finding product market fit again. Like if you find it for that first group and then you want to go after a bigger and broader reach, then you have to one, evolve the product while not alienating the people who do think it's valuable. And then you also have to figure out if you've found an audience again that will sustain it. Can you tell us a little bit about you know, your experiences in doing that, what you've seen from the front lines of those roles? So Flipagram is a good example of a company that had to do product market validation fit two times. Some of you might be familiar with it. It might also be known as the New Year's Eve app. That's kind of how it got started was we had a lot of celebrities using it for their, uh, their year-end recap. And it was also seen on Instagram a lot. You can make a Flipagram on the app and then be able to share it out to Instagram. It eventually evolved because we saw how popular it was as a photo creation tool. And we realized we needed a way to retain users so it's not like they're just coming back for a few times, especially just for the year in recap. How do we do that? We saw that, hey, when it comes to being able to bring people back all the time, social networks are the way to go, especially if you're talking about sharing your personal content, your personal updates. And so the company pivoted from being just a utility tool to being a social network as well. And so in doing that, we had to make sure whatever changes we made in our product did not alienate past users who wanted it purely just for utility purposes as opposed to being social as well. And so we always asked ourselves that question with every feature that we launched afterwards when we made that pivot to being a social network. Does introducing this feature push out the people that are just coming to use it as a utility. Exactly. Was there a moment, is there a moment, generally speaking, where 
supporting both becomes because this is the I think the cycle of early adopter early majority late majority is exactly that it's inevitably the early adopters leave because they're on to the next thing whatever it is so the goal I think in crossing the chasm to a bigger market is holding on to those early adopters as long as you can and this is going to sound a little callous until you sort of no longer need them and maybe it's going to mutually beneficial it's like it's time it's just like calling it quits with a partner we just both agree it's time versus people feeling like the product is no longer for them I would say that at the core Flipper Graham still holds true to the the initial adopters who used it to create photo videos with music of their preference. Now, I think what it also does in the current state is that it attracts people who want that social element as well. Um, the way the app's been designed is to make sure that we never really alienate those adopters because it still serves the purpose they need. The, the only additional obstacle now is they need an account. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, tell us about your journey into product management. I mean, was it something you said you were at UCLA, you studied business at USC. Were you studying product or you accidentally happened into it? Gosh, I wish there was a product management school for folks in undergrad and graduate programs, but it seems like it's only available for people who really seek it outside of traditional institutions. No, that's exactly right. Probably yeah. for the same sort of, you know, the, the bureaucratic slowness that you see when you talk about the difference between enterprise adopting agile or, or, or startups is, I mean, imagine an institution yeah. like UCLA going, yeah, we're going to stand up an entire department and, and degree program around this <laughs> and we need to get there now because this is a job people want. Yeah, or even just a specialization in MBA programs. That's something schools should really think about. Right. Anyways, back. If they're listening, <laughs> take a cue here. Okay, yeah, back to you. So back to how I got into product management. I, I would consider myself the accidental PM. Okay. I study econ at UCLA, then did finance for Intel in Silicon Valley for four years and then decided, hey, I love the analytical skills I get to exercise every day, but I want to do more. I want to be more creative as well. And I want to build things at the end of the day as opposed to just being a support group. You were the classic kind of peering over the fence and seeing the product managers and going, they look like they're having way more fun. Yes. How do I touch that? Yes, exactly. I mean, they were the ones making things happen. So it was something I was really curious about. But, you know, with the Silicon Valley influence, I thought it was for people with engineering backgrounds only. Um, then business school came along. I definitely got proven wrong <laughs> and really glad that it happened. I fell into a product management internship at Amazon, actually and decided, wow, this is a space I really want to be in. This is what I'm going to go after, and it's going to be my focus for recruiting when the time comes in my second year. Um, and it also helped me learn that I just really wanted to take a break from the corporate environment, and that's how I fell into the startup scene in LA Tech. And it's interesting you said about having the revelation that an engineering background isn't a prerequisite. And, and I think this is another thing you see big companies like Google almost always advertise for technical product manager. It's, it's baked into the role and it's not a requirement. So can you talk a little bit about what it looks like to be a product manager who doesn't come from a computer sciences background? Sure, sure. And I think it says a lot for companies who do require it because it's very back and heavy. 
um, and it does make sense for them, so I don't blame them for it. But there are so many other companies that don't require it. To me, what it means to be a product manager without a CS degree is really to be the person that we talked about earlier who can drive the strategic initiatives and be able to execute on the tactical duties. And so a strong product manager can really merge the two thinking together and be able to work with both while also being that person who can bring different organizations together. That's how, that's how uh, I would evaluate someone when I'm interviewing them at least. Can right. they be that product manager? Right. Well, and I think the other thing is because we have a lot of listeners that are prospective career changers, and it is to encourage it and say, all of the experiences you've accumulated up until this moment where you want to make this, this conscious pivot into product management are valuable. The only thing that might be missing is your ability to package it through a lens where someone can see that. So having disparate experiences doesn't make you not a qualified candidate. It's just the first step is look at those experiences and say, well, how do these apply in product? What can I take from this job I did five years ago when I was a marketing coordinator or when I worked in sales in my first job out of mm-hmm. college or whatever? And where are those threads applicable? Tell that story through your own skill sets, so to speak. Okay, like let's go back to college where I got into my first sales job. Oh, you actually had a I job actually did. So I, I was really rubbing a nerve there. <laughs> yeah, you How did you know that? <laughs> um, I had to sell alumni memberships at a public school, so definitely not an easy task. What I did, what I did to succeed in that job was to make sure I understood what people's needs were, and every individuals were a little bit different, um, and so. I had to tease apart kind of what value this membership would provide to different people. For folks who are going into graduate programs, especially people majoring in different sciences, they really valued the lifetime membership to different libraries within the UC system. So, you know, I would make sure I would understand that, speak to that, right? Um, Another thing is for for others who are just graduating and moving into jobs, they're probably more concerned about the discounts they can get for graduation activities. And so focus on I would focus on that in those cases. And so not is it is it not is it only about understanding people's needs, but also identifying the trends. And that I think is super important to being a product manager because it's getting out there and talking to people and understanding what, what they need and be able to synthesize what the different needs are. Right. It sounds like you were f- informally or perhaps formally building out your own personas not even connected in a a way about oh this is an actual discipline this is an actual product management process exactly I had no idea at the time when I was was 20 commission basically (laughs) how do I get the most I don't know if it was commissioner how do I get the most sales done here right well still being honest and offering value to people like I would never want to sell people for the sake of selling stuff sure Um, so that that was one experience in finance that's getting into the nitty-gritty of numbers. I, I had to basically synthesize lots of numbers into graphs and tables that were digestible to people that I could present and speak to and get people to understand very quickly. And these were VPs and GMs that I had to advise at the time. And so being able to communicate and knowing how to synthesize very high volumes of data into something that people can understand in just a matter of a minute 
was a very important skill set I didn't realize I was developing at the time. Right, right. And analytics come back in product management too, so again, that skill set came back to help me in more than one way, both in terms of the communication aspect and the, the hard skills. And so I think we're talking here about great if you have an engineering background, especially if the company requires it. Great if you don't. What else do you have that, that's usable? Are there, in your opinion, certain hard skills that you have to have, even if they're just you know, fledgling, or are you of the school, like, I'll take, uh, I'll take soft skills over hard skills because I can teach you the hard skills in the environment? I'm definitely in the latter school of thought. Hard skills are easier to pick up than soft skills. If someone's a really poor communicator, they have a longer way to go than someone who needs to understand how to work with numbers and how to write user stories. That's much easier for most of us to teach. Right. And easier for people to ramp up. Right. So, you know, perhaps that's a natural segue to a little segment we like to call get the job, learn the job, love the job. So, well, what's your title here, first of all? I'm a lead product manager at BCG Digital Ventures. So you got a little boss in you. We were talking before <laughs> about, you know, if you're at the top. Then yes. You, yes, I'm right in the middle. So that's right why I middle. can empathize with both sides of thinking and strategic and tactical things. Right. So there may be a, a time in the not so distant future where you'll be like, wireframes. I don't do wireframes. I'm here with the roadmap I'm imagining. I will always help with wireframes. I'll always always whiteboard wireframes. You'll never forget where you (laughs) came from. It's good to know your roots. So as a senior person, right, um, what advice would you offer to somebody who is either looking to ladder up, right, to become more senior in their current role, or somebody who is just trying to get in the door in product management? You're going to laugh, but for both of those aspects, I want to see hustle. Hustle. That's one of the things I look for is, is this person going to be very self-sufficient and really take the initiative to figure things out on their own? I mean, that's how I got into product management. It's not it's not that school taught me how to be a product manager, right? I'm always experimenting with things. Like I built my own e-commerce website while I was still in business school just to get a taste of what it was like to have to design and work with engineers and figure out the business side of of e-commerce. And so I'm just looking for that person who's really willing to go out there and, and talk to people, go research to figure out what it is that they wanna learn at the end of the day. And if it's to become a product manager, go learn how to talk the talk and walk the walk. Right. That's the only way you're going to get in. Yeah, I mean, this this uh, comes up over and over again on the show, this concept of side projects. And, you know, you have people, especially at, at General Assembly, right? We have students that graduate. There's certain students that I know are going to leave the program and I know they're going to land in a role because they have hustle, just as, as you describe. And then there's, I think, people who leave and they could go and get a role, but they... I don't know, they want it to come to them somehow, or they're not prepared to continue to work on it in the background. And I think that is part of it is you're not getting that role that you want. Fine. Keep looking for it. But what are you doing in the meantime with the extra time that you do have to say, look, I might not have trained for this formally or I might not have, you know, two or three or four years on paper experience. But here's a product that I built and put into market. Here's an e-commerce website that I did on the side of just for the fun of it. 
Exactly. The Sharon Tom rep. <laughs> I mean, the harsh reality is that there's a lot of people who want to be product managers these days. And so how do you make yourself stand out? It's really showing that you can learn a lot of these practices and principles on your own. And sure, I don't expect you to be a master at any of at anything, but just showing me that you actually took the initiative to figure out what it means to be a product manager and learning some of those skill sets means a lot to me. Right. What about hard lessons learned on the job? Are there any that you can share with us? Either I'm talking about things that you're doing it, you're sort of organically evolving into this product manager role, and there was a mistake that you made that you thought, okay, well, now I'll never make that again. Or one that you've seen come up over and over again in other people that are moving up. Two things that really come to my mind is, I wish I had said no more earlier in my career. It's back to that point I made earlier. It's okay to say no to things. Um, and when you do so, help others understand what the trade-offs are and why you're saying no. It's that education that's really important. And don't ever make someone feel like they're stupid because you thought it was a bad idea. It's like that should never be the communication that happens. But help people understand why you say no in a very objective way. Um, the second thing is filling in the gaps. It never really struck me as, hey, product managers are the ones who need to fill in the gaps. But over the years, I've observed the, the most successful product managers I've seen, um, even in the higher positions, are the ones who can fill in those gaps. If you know one organization is weak, they're able to help them navigate through it and help them re-strategize, for example. But that necessitates the understanding, first and foremost, of where the product manager sits, which we talked about, we've talked about a lot on the show and on the website is that I describe it as the pressure cooker between you know business technology and design and that radius of responsibility can grow if you're in a smaller organization where yes. there's less people on either side but it sounds like you're also saying whether there's a lot of people or not your your radius of responsibility may need to grow just as a means of creating a more effective or seamless transition from the UX understanding to the dev handoff or to the from the launch to the marketing team yeah, and the strategy even for between like product and marketing for example I've seen organizations where the marketing organization was weaker than where it needed to be. And so I saw the head of product fill in in that gap. Um, I think at even just the junior level, if let's say QA is not getting done, you can definitely help fill in that gap. Um, and these are very common problems. It may not be marketing specific, it fill in any other organization for that matter, but you get the point here is, as a good product manager, we're kind of the center of everything that's happening at a lot of tech companies. So we need to be able to help out where we can because we do have that influence. What about the thing that you love the most? I mean, you you described that your experience at Amazon was the one that solidified for you. Well, you told me earlier, you said Amazon did two things. It, it solidified your love for product management and communicated to you with certainty that you didn't want to work in enterprise. <laughs> yes, true story there. <laughs> so what is it about product management that you fell in love with either back then in Seattle or, or just as an ongoing theme? I mean, why do you do this job? It keeps me on my toes. I am definitely the type that gets bored very easily. And with product management, things are always changing. You, you constantly have to keep up to stay fresh with all the latest and greatest trends, 
both in the business level and even when it comes to design at the more tactical level. And so to me, there's just so much going on that I'm constantly learning and and I can keep building on my knowledge. Um, the other thing that I really love is just building products that make people happy. Like I love being a part of something that makes people smile at the end of the day, whether it's just making their lives easier or it just brings the light. Right, awesome. What about, uh, I don't know if you're a podcast listener, hopefully you listen to the 100 p.m. podcast. I do, I but, do. Um, resources, right? Do you have any product management or not product management resources that you think are great for somebody listening in, blogs, books, um, anything that would be helpful in the journey? Sure, I'm, I'm sure you've heard this many times. I think Lean Startup is a good place to start and, and understand how a lot of product managers think. When it comes to more of the nitty gritty, I would definitely suggest taking a look at Cranky PM and Mind the Product. They are both PM blogs as well. Um, to understand more design, I actually really like usertesting.com's newsletters. So just go ahead and subscribe through their website. And then lastly, Google. There's just a topic I'm curious about and you know, none of these resources are necessarily covering it. Someone's gonna be covering it. Go learn just by reading. And then of course, just talking to other people who are out there working in these jobs. Which brings up another point. You didn't expressly mention this, but when we talk about qualities that make great PMs, I think it's that thirst for knowledge that's critical because in some ways it's an old discipline and in some ways it's a new discipline and it's yes. our understanding of the discipline is changing rapidly because more people are doing it more companies are cropping up more companies are embracing a product process so it's evolving and so now is the time not to just say well i know this field but actually to say no i happened into it and i'm still learning it every day as i go we're all still learning it every day as we go. Very true, even within BCG Digital, I know I have to adjust my style with every project because it's going to be different. And to be an effective project manager, you do have to learn to adjust to different people and adjust your working style to it too. Right, well, and you are a, a case in point of one of the other things that, that I certainly say a lot to students, which is no product manager role is ever gonna be the same. So you can learn all of these skills and, and build up all of these qualities within yourself. And that's a prerequisite for getting into this field. But just when you think you know how it works, you'll change to another job and they'll do things completely differently. Exactly. That happens all the time from company to company, from project to project here. And so that that's what I mean by this keeps me on, the, on my toes at all times because it's ever-changing um, and that's why I think hustle is so important because it's about that thirst and the ability to just go out there and learn things and figure it out for your own right uh, what about a personal mantra or quote some sort of inspirational poster that you live by whether real or just in your own mind something that tells us about how you like to live your life or what you bring to your role as a product management professional I would say that make sure you're part of a team that you that you love above all else. I know a lot of product managers do think, hey, I want to build the next greatest thing. But if you don't enjoy working with the people around you, it can be very miserable. So definitely don't underestimate the value of the people you work with every day. 
love your team. <laughs> yes, love your team. You're listening to 100 PM, the official podcast for 100productmanagers.com. If you haven't been to our site, please check it out. We have so many great resources for anybody looking to learn more about product management or starting a technology business. I'm your host, Susanna Bate. Join me here. We've got a new conversation every Tuesday. We'll see you next time.